Hello there, podcast listener. How utterly unexpected, and by unexpected, I mean entirely expected. I see you've gotten yourself fastened to your headphones that you so unwittingly placed on your head. So now you have no choice but to listen to my evil scheme. Hang on, can you hear me? Hang on, is this, is this, is this volume right? I can't tell if I, I set this recording up right. Ah, whatever, I'll fix it in post. Anyway. You won't believe what my fiendish device this time. The evil scientist device-inator. Still working on the name, so I just gave it the regular template I always use. This device, when activated, will make my voice so honey delicious that everybody listening to podcasts will enjoy this show so much they'll have no choice but to listen to everything I say. And in this way, I will take over the tri-state area. In some way, anyway. I'm not really sure how it'll work out, but it's a pretty regular podcast, so if I have to fix the message somewhere, I don't think people will be too upset. Oh, shoot. What's this red blinking mean? I can't figure out this device at all. I just got it pretty... I got it pretty recently over in a catalog, and I don't think I set it up right. It doesn't even look like it's recording. Oh, wait, here it... There's 104 days of summer vacation, and school comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for our generation is finding a good way to spend it. Like maybe Building a rocket or fighting a mummy or climbing up the Eiffel Tower. Discovering something that doesn't exist hey. Or giving a monkey a shower Surfing tidal waves Creating nanobots Or locating Frankenstein's brain Finding a dodo bird Painting a continent Or driving our sister insane Hello everyone, welcome to the Cartoncast My name is Ben And my name is Zane and this is the show where we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. And today... The, car- ca- the Carton Castinator. Are we a little old to be watching cartoons? Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's going to be real raw if that actually turns out to be our intro. And you just repeated yeah. the same joke twice. But I mean, it's on brand. Repeating <laughs> the same joke twice. If you call it a catchphrase, it's fine. Ben, the Carton Castinator is capable of turning any one thing into 12 things of itself. I know it seems kind of ridiculous and, and derivative now, but trust me, you'll see, the, you'll see the utility in another 10 minutes, Perry. That's a pretty good voice you got there. We should Thank use you. that. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you got like a, a, an extendo stork, like, like a bird <laughs> whose neck is too long. <laughs> Ah, your comparison is completely indubitable, and by indubitable, I mean absolutely dubitable. Dubitable? <laughs> it's dubitable. Dubitable? Doofenshmirtzitable. Sure. Yeah. So today we're talking about Phineas and Ferb. Mm-hmm. Ferb short for Ferbridle, I think. <laughs> and Phineas long for Finn. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Finn and Ferbrando. <laughs> that's the, that's the alternative title. Um, and Phineas and Ferb ran from 2008 to 2015 for over 200 episodes on the Disney yeah. Channel. Yeah, it hit that uh, high mark of over 100 episodes uh, for, cre- for Disney. I know they have a, a tendency not to want to run things too long. Remember when we were doing Kim Possible, we were saying how, you know, five seasons is pretty unheard of for most shows. But Yeah, they resisted it. They did manage to resist it here, but it did run for a good long while. Yeah, the creators, Dan Povenmire and Jeff March, they had been pitching this idea for 16 years, going through working on The Simpsons and Family Guy and Rocco's Modern Life and even doing... I can definitely uh, see influences that are related to Rocco's Modern Life here. (laughs) But um, 
yeah, they, like this was a real passion project for them. So I guess they they were fine just keep keep going with it past the normal sixty five episode runs. Yeah, it does have some real. It does have some real like kind of creative uh, heart to it. Like there's def- like the people who were working on it definitely believed in it, and I think that's why it was so successful in mm-hmm. in a number of ways. Um, I have a history with this show, a moderate history. Okay. Uh, I I would watch it with a bunch of friends in college when we were kind of winding down the night and just wanted something quick and easy to do while maybe somebody else was playing Smash. Yeah, and, I remember uh, visiting you once and we watched this and I enjoyed it then. I I, and I enjoyed parts of it. Um, I in, intensely disliked certain parts of it, which we can get into later. So I, I thought it was really important to come back to this show to figure out what if if I was being too harsh on it, or if I if my my tastes had changed, if there was anything in particular I could point to, um, and I I think that all of those are true. I think that <laughs> I, I think that I still kind of dislike it. I think it's in very, I, I think it's in I think it's delegated to very particular parts of the show that I dislike. But you know I I also can definitely see a wide appeal for this show. But it wasn't like. So this wasn't like Disney's House of Mouse was for me. Okay. You're going to have to qualify that a little bit more precisely. Where I watch it and I can tell right away, this is a bad show. I'm going to make fun of it as much as I can and then we're done. Huh. Because I I found it difficult to get through this show. I didn't want to watch more and I felt the need. I, like, I couldn't watch more than an episode in a row before saying like, I need to go do something else. Hmm. And yet at the same time, I know there's a good show in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I'm actually... This is one of those rare moments where you're more critical of a show than I am. Like, I enjoyed watching it for a good amount of it. There were just it's... such dense packets of, you know, Ben Bane that I couldn't handle. This show is some real mayonnaise. Yeah, a little bit goes a long way. Yeah, and we'll get into exactly when the show shines through, um, but I think, you know, we'll talk about just how formulaic this show is, and it does a lot to subvert itself, but not enough. And it, it doesn't they, seem to commit to that. The the biggest problem I have with it is they don't go far enough in changing up the formula. Like they're too set in their ways that uh, you know. Maybe it's good for younger kids who like that sort of consistency. I I couldn't really get into it. Let's uh let's let's table that for now. Uh, did you have yeah. anything else to say in the production? No, um, that's that's most of it. You know the, um, yeah, no. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I I had a couple of things to say just about. I mean, like. You know, it, it was ex- intensely popular to the point of being marketed. At, I remember seeing toys from Phineas and Serb marketed on a, on a in a subway in our hometown. How and, do you make a toy out of this? I mean, you just like little action figures, you know. Yeah, these are these are pretty iconic models. Like, uh, they're different. They're they're easily recognizable, <laughs> and you know, I, I can see it. Especially any mm. anything with Perry the Platypus, I feel like would be a pretty good toy. Harry's fine. The other ones, I have some issues with their character models. Oh, man, I'm pretty into their character models. We... <laughs> what, Dorito Head? Yeah, you weren't into that? <laughs> <laughs> Dorito Head and some transplant from Pelswick? It's, I feel like we're heading into a, 
uh, I feel like we're heading into an episode where we have very different objections, um, which could, <laughs> which could be like that could be good. You know, if yeah, this we is can a go show, through this like a point counterpoint. If this is a show that has so much going for it that we have different problems with it, that means that it does have that wide appeal that would lend it that sort of popularity and that long runtime. So that does make a certain sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to to lay out the plot structure of the show, you, you mentioned formulaic. Uh, I think you are... I wish there was a better... Or I wish there was a more extreme version of that word. <laughs> <laughs> um, Monotonous? Yeah, like monoformulaic like something that just like greater formulaic something like that <laughs> the greater formulaic area yeah but so the, this this show follows a couple of different plot lines um it's got an a plot wherein the titular boys phineas and ferb i assume that ferb is short for something so every time i hear it i'm constantly adding a suffix in there <laughs> ferbert yeah ferbert is a good one uh, and and they're they're trying to fill their summer days with some wacky trying, adventure. Really squeeze every last drop of summer out of it. They're trying to pad time before we get to the B plot, which is far <laughs> more interesting. Uh, which is uh, Agent Perry the Platypus. Their their pet platypus be doing an, a secret agent riff with the lovable Professor Doofenshmirtz, idiot savant, evil extraordinaire. Uh, mm-hmm. And that kind of running joke and uh, playing with the formula of a secret agent just long enough to subvert it and then leave. And then yes, there's and that this... elusive C plot that doesn't work at all, wherein <laughs> Candace is furious with her life. Yes. That is it. And like, I don't have anything else to say about it. And And they all culminate at the end where Candace is trying to show her mom that her younger brothers are geniuses and for some reason she considers this a negative it is a crime it is it is it is awful it's making them their family weird she's just jealous it really um but the evidence of their hijinks is destroyed by our b plot uh, right before her mom is able to see the evidence and so what we get is this one character who is completely unsympathetic because all she's trying to do is ruin the boys' fun. But also we feel terrible for her because she just keeps on seeming absolutely insane and gaslit by her mother. Yeah, it's... I don't know that term. I've heard it so many different times. I don't know what it means. Gaslighting? Yeah. Um, it originated in, like, a uh, stage play. I don't remember which one. Where um, a husband is trying to, like, exert power over his wife and he will dim the lights, the gas lights in like on stage or in the in the room or whatever. And she will say, like, it's so hard to see the lights are so dim. And he'll say, no, they're not. They look just fine. And she'll like sort of go create like she will internalize that as her being wrong. Ah, uh, OK. So this is like upper lo- like this is like second level negging. <laughs> yeah. OK. Where you get them to neg themselves. For some reason, I just thought it was like general internet culture with people getting pissed off at each other. Oh, you know, no, gaslighting. This literary. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just like a general, like, kind of, you know, in the same, like, derivative of being lit. Mm-hmm. Some, some, <laughs> something in that, in that venue. Like it's too lit. Yeah, too lit to quit. Too lit AF fam. <laughs> the, the internet's got a weird vocabulary these days. I really love it. Um, but yeah, so we have these these three plot lines, and 
I, I think I agree with you. The secret agent plot is pretty good because that's where a lot of the subversions happen. Yeah. Uh, the A plot with Phineas and Ferb, you know, is kind of hit take or miss. Him, take them or leave them. And then Candace is... I wish I had better things to say about Candace. It's such a bummer. And, like, it's just not up to the standard of everything else. And it's partly because we know exactly how it's going to... Like, it, there can be kind of a Sherlock-like element of fun in, in wondering how her attempt to blow the cover on these other... Uh, on uh, on Phineas and Ferb is going to disappear uh, yeah. because of the Professor Doofenshmirtz stuff. So that can be fun to kind of, like, try to... Um, uh, predict but it's so formulaic that there can't be any fun within it yeah so there's no there's the no issue. variety in the characters in those moments it's all let me just 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 fast forward to the part where she looks like an idiot and move on because yeah. i don't need and to see this build up that is never going to materialize yeah and, and for a show that goes over 200 episodes having that lack of character growth really hurts it um, like what if what if you had a cartoon in 200 episodes like a 200 episode running cartoon and two mm. minutes out of the 11 or 21 depending on the episode minute cartoon they just like made the exact same joke and didn't do anything particularly interesting with each other like you're just uh, you were describing the did I do that conundrum <laughs> that, that is the conundrum and I've I've seen it done well in smaller amounts of time less real estate to this joke would make it work do you remember uh keenan and kel those kind of wrap-up segments yeah where keenan would say something fucking inane and then waltz off and then kel would be like wait keenan I, I i don't know where to find i don't know where to find a cement mixer what, what did you mean when you when you said we were gonna when we were gonna, we were gonna hunt the spice girls oh here it goes like it, it's just like there's such a variety in that and it only takes like 20 seconds to articulate you know what, what now that we graduated why don't you grab a textbook a campus map and a beekeeper suit and meet me in college come on billy <laughs> keenan college what college and do i have to take a beekeeping class keenan yeah, chaos and wackiness is fine if it's short. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> For me, the, the deeper problem was the lack of, of growth. Phineas and Ferb don't really get much character growth, but that's that's kind of okay because that's they're not kids. what their plot is doing. No, their um, their segment is all about is, is not about the people. It's about kind of a spaceman spiff, Calvin and Hobbes sort of, you know, yeah. or, or Commander Keen sort of like fun in the world around us. We're having adventures and they're like, they're the kind of adventures that you would have in another show like, oh, they're imaginary adventures and then we cut back to reality. But here it happens in reality, but it doesn't matter that it happens in reality. Yeah. Um, and and, um, and lest, we, lest we get too far down this rabbit hole, I just wanted to set up that there are generally three plot lines and that those are kind of my interpretations of them is that we have fun imagination zone that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. We have really clever spy slash relationship metaphor riff. Mm -hmm. And then we have weird like sitcom drama comedy sort of interplay that doesn't really fit with either of the other two. And that goes on for a little too long and doesn't do anything new. Well, that, that plays into my comment about um, continuity because Doofenshmirtz shows continuity. He references things that have happened and shows a degree of growth. Candace doesn't 
and she's so under-motivated from the beginning that she she can't carry her own segment, and there's no one else in there to do it for her. I guess so. Uh, let's let's move back to her when we get down to her, but uh, I, I, unless you have anything else to say, I, I'm ready to start in on the characters. I think one of the reasons I'm jumping ahead a bit is because I don't find a whole lot of depth to any of these characters, so I feel like just having named them and said what their function is... I'm ready to move forward. Ah, well, guess what, Zane? <laughs> this is where you... This is, now, you're, you're the... You're, the classic Zane is wrong well, to mention. No, no, no. This is, this, is, uh, this is why this partnership works so well, because you're on the ground. You're, you know, setting up the stage. And I'm on the ground. You're on the ground. I'm eyes in the skies. Um, you set up the stage. You keep the ledgers. You keep the trains on time. But, and don't worry about that. We're just going to let that ride. Uh, much like the trains. <laughs> the, the, the trains in Tokyo. That's right. Uh, however, I'm the idea man. So when there's nothing to drag out of these characters, I will I will, I will, make them swallow a larger character and pull out that character. And from then, there, get I... <laughs> at least a little bit of character. Uh, can I can I posit that we make some Carton Cast merch where it's me, like, in the books balancing a ledger that you can wear on your left shoulder, and then you, like, with an idea light bulb on their right shoulder... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds gaudy as hell. I, I'm gonna veto. You don't want a little action figure but of yourself I, I, on your shoulder like a parrot. I, I appreciate you. However, I do appreciate you jumping into the merchandising aspect of the Carton brand. <laughs> in any case, uh, let's yeah, start. Give with, me your pie in the sky. Uh, yeah, my pie in the sky. Well, it doesn't start with Phineas and Ferb. They're pretty boring. I mean, they're fine. They're standard, you know, Nicktoon rambunctious youths. Yeah, um, Phineas spearheads the plot kind of um he doesn't really seem to have much of a personality aside from i'm ready for adventure what a go-getter get in my way yeah yeah he's fine mickey mouse school of of action he's almost spongebobian a little bit yeah and then his his brother ferb uh stepbrother um you you have to you have to give him a suffix when you reference him uh ferbton ferbton uh, is good is um not really an entity so, uh, yeah, he's, this is actually kind of strange, because, um, I, he, he's, he's the platonic ideal of a narratively important character, right? <laughs> like, we need him there because Phineas needs somebody to talk to, and somebody to have excitedness at, who is generally, you know, thumbs up, up for anything, you know, he, mm-hmm. he's along for the ride, but he doesn't have any actual character, but we need him to be there. Yeah, because otherwise Phineas it, Phineas can't carry it by himself. There's better ways to do the two scientists thing. Um, this worked in Wallace and Gromit because they had two very distinct roles, and we could get a lot from Gromit's like eye movements. It, it, it was all because Gromit had such important he had such a range of motion. He had such a range of motion because they spent so much time on his facial features. Uh, Ferb has no mouth. Ferbrador um, has like no anything? mouth. He we we can't see anything. That he is thinking. He is not thinking. He's not a thinking character. It's a complete character. cipher. God, what is with you in that word? It's a word. Yeah, but you use it in the way that people don't use use not words. I disagree. And by people, I mean me. Uh, and Furby says he gets one line per episode uh, in which we are reminded that he is British. Why? Why? His dad's why? British and they remarried. Every time he says something, I'm led to believe that we are supposed to be shocked that he's talking it's like a little like easter egg 
for the kids, like the small children watching this. They're right. like, oh my god, he talked. I didn't. It's you like know, the like, snail in Adventure Time or something like that. It's a subversion of an expectation, but it happens every time. So yeah. it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand that. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't mind the difference in kind of tonal presentation, though. Like uh, the contrast of Candace's hyper energetic panic to Phineas being almost zen like in his calm. And for for. Ferb just keeps on Ferbin for 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 Borean. He just, uh, he goes along with that. So, like, that kind of, she is outraged and they are irritatingly calm is something I can get behind. Yeah, that that would work in practice if she, uh, let's talk about Candace. Uh, well, I, just before we go on, I do want to mention that their catchphrase joke, Phineas's catchphrase joke is pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, the, aren't you kids a little too young to be doing X, Y, Z? Yeah, and then he says, yes, yes, I am. And that's a good enough answer that the adults leave him alone, which is funny yeah, on a number great. of levels. And, <laughs> like, it, with a lesser joke, it would get so old. But because the joke is so good, even though they do it every episode, I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah, because that's, like, that's audacious enough that you, you're you always still set in the real world where, like, that, that sort of back talk won't fly, young man. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. somebody needs to do some always, push-ups. It always does in here, and that it makes us think he's cool. So, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, and, and it's also, like, a nice jab at the kind of sitcom, <laughs> uh, like, the, the fundamental understanding everyone has when they come into a sitcom world, mm-hmm. which is, like, where that answer is, the, the fact that that answer is sufficient is the joke <laughs> it, it is not really the delivery that's selling it it's the idea that they're flipping these sitcom beliefs on their head and getting away yeah, with well, it when, when he says what you're talking about willis you're, you're not expecting someone to explain to him what willis is talking about <laughs> no we all know it's amu- it's amusing that you just say that and we move on <laughs> that's something they could have done in this they're pretty good with references yeah, references and catchphrases and, like, all your standard stuff. It's just real dense with it. Yeah, it is. And there's no room for other stuff. Yeah, well, as refer- speaking of other stuff, let's talk about Candace. <laughs> yeah, let's just get her out of the way. Mm-hmm. This is a person <laughs> composed entirely of negative character traits. Well, here's the thing. This is a this is a, a woman who... This is a young woman. This is a, this is a girl who, you know, maybe it was the... Whether it was her, her parents remarrying, something... Maybe she didn't get a lot of attention growing up. So, so something something's kind of made her off kilter. And, uh, you know, the, her parents have brought her to therapists and tried to figure out what her deal was. But she keeps on babbling with these inane stories, the, these complete fabrications of these two brothers creating crazy contraptions. And You're using your sinister voice. It's just... It's such a projection of her own mental anguish and uh you know i i don't i don't see it i don't see the joke oh i thought you were gonna say something like and the boys are in her head no no the boys uh, are there but they're not doing any uh, okay so they're if not you, doing anything wrong <laughs> you, you, i if you wanted to give this show too much credit we can see candace as a troubled girl who wants attention from her mom so badly that she's willing to come up with these ludicrous schemes in order to she wants the boys to be in trouble for something but they are model children they're always just reading in the backyard she goes to out of her way to the point of where even the pet even the platypus is at fault in some way she now, she is projecting now could... her insecurities and her <laughs> mental issues 
onto her surrounding family in an effort to elevate herself. Yeah, and you can see this in the fact that, you know, if they just had they're bothering her, they're making too much noise, they're reading her diary, classic Disney stuff, then she gets mad at them and wants to get them in trouble. Fine. But they're perfect. But she goes out of her way to catch them doing something. It it doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't does. Oh, what, what I was saying was that the bad things that Phineas and Ferb are doing are not things that they're doing. I think that I think an interpretation oh. you can have is that all of the stuff we're seeing them do is not things that are happening. Could you explain how the platypus plot fits in then? Because That's it would be an, weird if that was happening and no, the other stuff wasn't. They're also not happening. But what I was saying before, you're going to have to like go re-listen re- re- to the earlier part no, of this no, episode. I, I, read, you, I okay. read you. Platonic family, Candace can't handle it. She fabricates these things and... Like, but what does that get you? <laughs> it, it doesn't. It's just that's the only interesting way I could read this character. And it's she doesn't definitely know about, it doesn't work because she doesn't know about Perry uh, either. Well, no, no, no. Saying you're, you're missing you're misunderstanding. What I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying is that she's making all of it up: the Perry stuff and the boy stuff. Just trying to give her life meaning. She's projecting. She's protecting projecting her insanity on the mild mannered family around her that get more attention than she does. Okay. But that yeah. is not the correct way to read this character because it's absolutely not the case. This is a Disney show. It doesn't show. get you anywhere. It doesn't get you anywhere, and it's definitely not what the creators were intending. But it's the only thing that I could do to try to make her any interest at all. And it's not like she's a bad person. She's just like... She got caught with a raw deal in this show where her function is to be exasperated that formula happens, which makes her a part of the formula. And whenever something is a part of the formula in this show, it... It's got a real high bar to reach. What what she needs, what her plots need, is a second character in it, you know? Sometimes she, she manages plots, it. The other plots have it, and she's better when she has somebody to, like... When like she her... has to explain her actions to somebody, and she has to, like, oh, crap, I don't actually have any character motivation. Better pick some up real quick. She can cobble some together well enough that I'm like, okay, yeah, there's some stakes now. Yeah, it, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really know. I, I think we're working ourselves into one of those carton holes where we're not saying things that are actually happening anymore. Ooh, Ben, uh, product placement. Carton holes, they're like donut holes, but with eggs. Is there any so... way you can put in an aider on the end of that? <laughs> carton cast holinator where it's like a donut shape but egg <laughs> i want you to repeat that back to yourself <laughs> just no, for shits just, keep... just for shits let's and giggles just, let's just move forward okay yeah so candace kind of a bummer i get it like from a viewpoint of young boys an older sister is a meddlesome pain like that's her character and this yeah. show is marketed to phineas and ferb age group Right? Yeah, let, let, we can move on from her. Like, the less said about her, the better. I think. I uh... I do understand why she's included. Um, I it definitely hurts this show for other demographics. I also think it might be specific for us that the whole comedy of errors thing, where she's trying to show this thing that Phineas and Fur built that she wants to show her mom about it, and then it just disappears in front of her, causing her mental anguish. I feel like that's just the kind of comedy of errors things that doesn't to, go for a us. way to improve this 
get rid of Candace, have the mom suspect that they're up to something but never find any proof. And it's not like it's bad that they're doing that, but like she just thinks, oh, I have these normal kids who will never achieve anything. Oh, so she's like she's like excitedly trying to find out evidence for it. Yeah, like she wants it to be true, but it just never works out that way. Mm, I think that you'd need to change too many essential elements. Like, I think Candace is an okay part of the show. I just don't like her function in trying to get Phineas and Ferb caught. Like, I think that, I think that she's okay when in her interactions with Jeremy. Ugh, why? Because <laughs> they're, they're... Why is Josh Mankey here again? <laughs> he's so much better than Josh Mankey because he's not cool at all, but Candace thinks that he's the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm working at the fry station oh my god you're amazing <laughs> that's exactly why i like it so much it's, it's so cute like i like i don't a, get it i, I kind of like the interactions we're in phineas and ferb are doing a thing they're testing out a time travel machine at the museum or whatever candace is talking to jeremy but they keep on twisting the time travel knobs so that every 15 seconds she reverts to how she was acting 15 seconds ago laughing at the same jokes over and over again jeremy oh, is real confused he's not in it. <laughs> yeah that that, that works okay for me it's just the trying to catch phineas and ferb thing that irritates me i'm i'm just tired of shows where the female lead is like oh boys <laughs> like I, I'm, Queen. I've, I've <laughs> um yeah i don't know i, I didn't hate her as much I wish he had more to do, but in any case, so just as a, just a real quick aside, it seems like you really hated the show. I, I wasn't big on it. Mm. Can you now, rank it? Now, I, I did end up watching a couple more of the later episodes, I, and I think it does get into a... They start varying things into a, a little bit. Groove after a while, because like, like the plots don't necessarily get more or less wacky. But they can focus on the gags because the plot's so prescribed. And I think when they focus on the gags or subverting expectations, that's a lot better. Yeah, that seems like a very precise science that I don't have the tools to judge. You know, I can Mm -hmm. only kind of judge it from a subjective, like, I enjoyed watching this or I didn't enjoy watching this. But uh, you might be right. Can you rank this show in terms of enjoyment for you? Uh, Better than Garfield and Friends but okay <laughs> like what what a what a high, what a high limbo bar <laughs> like you know I probably could have said low bar like that's no everyone knows people what, know what you mean by a limbo bar limbo <laughs> bars are famously only at one height yeah okay <laughs> like it's not that there were good parts in there it's just there was so much in between that either was a non-entity or was actively bad okay hmm so let me let me give you an example yeah please i think we i think we've talked too much in terms of like general stuff and not enough specifics the so there's there's an episode okay so there uh there's a science fair it's summer but okay sure there's a science fair um and phineas and ferber like hey let's go see what baljeet's up to uh their indian friend and he says, I want to win the science fair with this portal to Mars that I designed, but I'm no good at building things. Can you guys build it for me? And they have... <laughs> okay, so far so good. Standard. Then they have their song it's and dance number. It's just a Jimmy Neutron was- plot. <laughs> they have their song and dance number, which was just Bollywood 
to the extreme like okay <laughs> i'm not i'm not in on this i, I think we you need okay done better. I, I need i need for us to not talk about the musical numbers yet sure i have a um, thesis but we can't dip into it yet they they go to the science fair um and they show off they show off the the portal to mars it works the judge is very excited he goes to get the other judges but it, the portal breaks and so when he tries to show them he goes into a mad rage starts crying doubting himself like it's it's this real like they they inflict this psychological horror on everyone around them ben <laughs> Um, meanwhile, do you think they're agents of Loki? Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, better. Schmertz is saying, I'm going to win the science fair. (laughs) The Tri-County. I've always lost to, I've always lost it to a baking soda volcano in the past, but this time I won't. So you can see standard, standard, nothing kind of upsetting jokes about this man's descent into madness and then good stuff with dr doofenshmirtz like a good two-thirds of the episode i did not need except for the context of what was happening hmm i I don't know how to judge it like it it sounds like the other stuff is like decent comedy stuff that i could handle and maybe it just like had weird priorities in how they articulated it hmm but uh, I do agree with one moment, one one part of your analysis, which is that Professor <laughs> Doofenshmirtz is the best part of the show. Like A hands, saving grace. Like, hands down. Like, incredibly better than everything else, right? Yeah. Because he's wild. He's, he's wild, and he's self-referential, and he, you know, it's... It's the difference between repeating a joke in the same way and repeating a joke in a different way. When... Phineas talked, all I heard was plot, 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 weird thing. When Dr. Doofenshmirtz talks, I hear joke, 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 joke. <laughs> ah, curse you, per- Perry the Platypus. <laughs> all right. Well, like, let, you see the difference? It, let's, it, let's describe it. They let's describe know, it. They know how to write dialogue. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, so maybe the the idea is, like, when there's no plot to get to. Or, you know, I almost, I don't know. I'm having a hard time dissecting the show just because how wide the gulf is between the parts that I liked and parts that I didn't like. So let's talk about him. Uh, most of the self-aware commentary of the sitcom format comes in here. And I think it's probably because we're not beholden to the more mundane aspects of the main plot. Mm-hmm. Like we're already in kind of a, a fantasy setting during like this crazy evil corporation mad scientist secret agent nonsense so we're already in fantasy land we don't have to make anything make sense in fact all of the sense making is relegated to a device with innator at the end of it they don't need the facade of being a regular show at -hmm. this point they use it and that's why the kids like this show because they're like oh it looks like just a standard boring disney cartoon but there's something cooler in here Mm-hmm. This aspect of the show just does away with the facade. Yeah, it it doesn't need to build into anything. The entire, like, the Perry the platypus, so Perry is their pet. He dons a secret agent hat, goes to, I don't know, some Austin Powers un- underground bunker where he's given his assignment, which is always just to go to the same place, the same building, and figure out what <laughs> Doofenshmirtz is up to. So I, I don't understand the ne- necessity of that meeting. <laughs> but... He goes there, gets caught in a trap, uh, 
Professor Doofenshmirtz will say something pretty funny, like, uh, ah, your timing is impeccable, Perry, and by impeccable, I mean completely impeccable, and then just traps him, which is a good line. Yeah. And the trap is always different. And Trap is different, uh, wacky you know, ray gun or whatever technological thing he's built is different. The way that Perry escapes and foils his plans and uses the machine to, like, destroy the evidence of Phineas and uh, Ferbicles's, uh <laughs> you know, thing, that's always different. And it's these little, like, marble maze. It's these maze, twists. Like, it's... So, like the the articulation <laughs> of the plot is the same, but the way it transpires is always different, and it's always entertaining. And it's because the thing that we're watching is something inherently entertaining because we like both of the characters. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what I love about Professor Durfin, Duf- like, so first first of all, this scene wherein Perry the platypus is caught and needs to break out and foil his plans, that's all that's going to happen in the plot. So there's no plot that needs to be set up, so we don't have Phineas doing his dialogue at ad nauseum to explain stuff. Everything's yeah, we already... we don't need there. exposition here. All the exposition we get is from Professor Doofenshmirtz using a device in an inc- in a convoluted and incredibly petty way in order to turn yeah. a profit. <laughs> and that's a very funny thing for a mad scientist to, like, oh, I've created a ray gun that increases my appetite so I'll be able to eat my, my fill at all of the all-you-can-eat buffets so I can open my own all-you-can-eat buffet and everyone will go there because all the other ones are out of business. Like, what, what are you even talking about? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. It makes no sense. <laughs> It's uh, there's there's a degree of freedom here, right? I like, think that's exactly what it is. They're not beholden to the plot or context constraints of the Phineas and Ferb plot lines. I'm gonna I'm gonna describe the difference between these plot lines in the nerdiest way possible. Uh, the a plot is like a uh, quadratic equation, right? You're gonna solve, you know, set it equal to zero, solve for x. You have a formula. Just fill in the numbers. Plug mm-hmm. and chug. Sure. The Doofenshmirtz plot line is a series of equations, and you need to solve for several variables, and it's just, like... you got as many equations stuff, as you have yeah, variables. Yeah, you have to move the stuff around in order to get everything together to, like, come back in at the end to, to intersect with the other plot line. There's just so much more... Uh, so, so much more it can be. Yeah, it... The like the links between ideas and the kinds of jokes they can make are a deg- an order of magnitude greater. Mm-hmm. It, it's the difference between a crossword puzzle and like a f- word find puzzle. Yeah, you know it's it's so much. It's just <sighs> and Candace's plot line is you know two plus two equals X and it's drawn in crayon. <laughs> <laughs> and the crayon part's fine. <laughs> no, that's actually kind of funny. Young listeners, yeah. to take up mathematics. No shot, no shots fired at Crayola here. We're all friends. Oh, you've got so many different colors. Oh, look at all those colors in that box, man. That so like, did you ever yeah, have we can sidebar here? Yeah, did you ever have like a big box of crayons with like seventy eight colors? That seemed the first time you open that box, you're like, there's more colors than I'd ever be able to use, than I would ever yeah. need. Yeah, and first, there's that little sharpener right in the side. For some reason, that stands out as, like, a very important moment in my childhood. Is like, the first time I open up a box of crayons that is more than 10 colors. 
the only specific time I can remember where I had that exact feeling again was when I started teaching chemistry and I go into the cabinets and I'm like, look at all these chemicals. Yeah, they're not just giving me fucking sulfides anymore. <laughs> this ain't your granddad's sulfides. sulfides. <laughs> I'm up to your ass in sulfides. <laughs> that's where they're kept. <laughs> that's where they come from. <laughs> uh, um, do- Dr. Doofus words, though. Yeah. So I, I think that the reason that it's funny is because they're not beholden to the more mundane plot. That that's yeah. That I think is and a he, good distillation. And he shows growth. He references previous events. Uh, we eventually find out he has like a teenage daughter. Mm-hmm. And she's just a daughter. Like there's not really much to it. No. Like she's still a better character than Candace, but yeah. But that's just because we don't have to watch her that much. Um, I think that I want to describe a particularly fun Professor Duvenschmertz moment to articulate the ways in which they can flip this formula that are not the, ways that the main plot could do it. The moments are great. The, the moments in this show are great. This is like the blandest cookie with some delicious like macadamia yeah, you nuts got, in there. You got some M&Ms in there. Yeah. Okay, so here's my example. There's an episode where Perry comes in, tries to foil him, and realizes that the place is already messed up and Professor Doofenshmirtz is like, oh, Perry the platypus, I, I didn't realize you were coming over so quickly. And Perry gets kind of like, you know, something's up. And he goes toward the closet. He's like, no, no, don't, don't open that. There's no need. And this other secret agent animal, like a little panda wearing a hat, is in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Perry the platypus. I didn't want you to find out this way. Okay, here it is. Peter the panda is my new nemesis. We met at an evil genius expo in Seattle, and, well, me and Peter, we just instantly disliked each other, and then he foiled a little evil scheme of mine. It, I didn't plan it that way, it just happened. Peter the Panda, be a dear and go get us a soda. It's not that I don't hate you anymore, I do, but look, I, I just think it's time for us to, you know, take a break and start fighting other people. Thank you, Peter the Panda. I'd offer you one, Perry the Platypus, but I, I think it's better if we just have a clean break, don't you? So, where was I? Oh, yes! So, Peter the Panda, you think you have outwitted me! Perry the Platypus, you're, you're making this harder than it needs to be. Go on, it's over now. <laughs> like a long breakup conversation between supervillain and secret agent that makes kind of no sense. And Perry yeah, looks yeah. legitimately hurt by this. And, That's great. And so he's like, now if you'll excuse us, we have to get back to it. And so they start like, he starts dialoguing to the panda and both of them suddenly like look at Perry and are like, ah, Perry, you're kind of making this more awkward than it needs to be. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like taking the joke way too far. And then later <laughs> in the episode, they appear on a Dr. Phil-esque daytime, like yeah, live studio perfect. audience, like a Jerry Springer, like, like a like kind of set wherein he's going to bring out his arch enemy, his nemesis to like apologize to him publicly. And the entire audience is full of secret agents where like secret agent animals wearing hats and guys in lab coats. <laughs> this, this is it. This is the sole reason why I'm so upset is because I just didn't get enough of these. God, <laughs> I think I just watched episodes that were less doofenshmirtzy. You really have, like, that's where I'm, that's what I'm waiting for in every episode. Everything else is just, I don't care. Like, I've seen better, you know, 
I've, I've seen better like whimsical child adventure kind of shows like spongebob does that better even though he's an adult which is ridiculous but you know like the idea of a young person having fun with his imagination is not a particularly new or nuanced show idea and if they're gonna do it they gotta do it real well and they did didn't. you see the uh, oh sorry finish no that's okay did, did you see the um they 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 decided to take SpongeBob reruns off of some like streaming website, and so these randos on the internet like <laughs> redid all of like a bunch of old classic ones as live action, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just as as goofy as These they could internet be. heroes. Like they're not dressing up like Sponge or anything. It's just like a happy guy. Like yeah. it's frame for frame. <laughs> like exactly That's... the same thing just like with no budget that is very funny <laughs> it's go watch like the uh like the hash slinging slasher episode or something are you ready to rock squidward no good because we've got customers here please hit me as hard as you can Psst, squidward i'm working in the kitchen <laughs> at night don't hold back Hey, Squidward, guess what? I'm chopping lettuce at night. Okay, I'll, I'll have Very to put that charming. in. I'll have to put that on my roster. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like uh, like I was saying, that moment with like Nemesis in a secret agent context being a yeah. allegory for a relationship between two people breaking up, that's just like the main plot just never is that clever. Yeah, and that's what I mean when I say there's a good show in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, just I I think in many ways, you know, the guys who made this, they were pushing for it for so long. I think they painted themselves into a corner and, you know, they found a formula that works. It was very popular. Straying too far. Would have been wasn't risky. They, they strayed as far as they possibly could in the Doofenshmirtz segment. It's strange for a show to be so subversive and so formulaic at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes they'll, like, wrap in on themselves where, like, they'll be so formulaic that they will subvert the formula. Like, aren't you going to ask me how old I am? It's like, nah, I've seen a lot of this business. Like, you know, there's there's ways that they can do that, and that's kind yeah, of they funny. Get, <laughs> they become self-aware. They're, they're in on the joke at that point, but they're not in on it consistently enough for it to erase well, the sins of the formula. And at that point, you have to replace the joke. You have and they to, don't. Well, you have to do something different. And yeah. it stayed the course. Which no. in certain ways were fine, because Doofenshmirtz, I could watch as much Doofenshmirtz as it's, it wants to give me. The rest of it can't really keep that pace. Um, I have a uh, I have a sort of a, a general question about the characters. Okay, I'm not quite done with Doofenshmirtz, but... Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you have quite a bit to say about this, this gentleman. I do. Uh, one of them is just another moment, because I think it's very funny. Please. Um, one, of, one of the things I love about his presentation is, so it's actually the same pairing as Phineas and Ferb, you know, talkative, excited one, and a silent uh, foil. But when he, rather than trying to advance the plot, when Doofenshmirtz makes a joke, he really commits to the joke. Yeah. And one of the times is like he's going to fire a large tire at someone for whatever reason so it's like this is my retirenator because it will hit him again with a tire not like stop working retire <laughs> although i do have one of those right over here it has crossword puzzles and a big house cat to sit on my belly and warm me in my senior years 
anywho and it like pans across and it's like there's like this huge chair with like a palm frond on top and like i don't know it's just for some reason that really got me like honestly you could take all the best moments and just put them into like a little put them into like a little book like do them as a four panel comic and it works way better what was that book i don't know why this is hitting me here but like what was that book with like bible chapters that are like uh too brief like too briefly describe Bible chapter oh, or oh, physics um, concepts. The Bible, the Bible abridged beyond the point of usefulness. That's what it was, and they do like make a one for physics concepts, and mm-hmm. yeah, those are great. <laughs> yeah, same idea. Like cut out this chaff. I also like it because the comedy feels good because it also feels very organic from the from the particular voice actor. Like I think that he okay. just does a really good job making it feel like a organic conversation with Perry. As weird it's as that not, sounds. It's not a different voice actor. This is show creator Dan Poffenmeyer. Well, maybe that's part of it. So wait, who were the voices all done by? Phineas uh, is done by Vincent Martella. Yeah, I didn't I didn't recognize a lot of stuff from these uh, voice actors. Neither did I. Um, uh, Phineas is apparently somebody who also did voice acting work for a Final Fantasy game, but that's pretty much all I got, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um. Oh, and he was also uh, apparently Robin in the Batman animated film Under the Red Hood, which is cool. Um, one more thing I wanted to say about Professor Doofenshmirtz. Did you happen to watch that MatPat uh, film theorist yeah. video? Yeah, so I posted this video to uh, to our um, Facebook page. The MatPat, the guy who does the game theory and film theories, Great guy. put out an episode on Phineas and Ferb like a couple of days ago. Sniped rude <laughs> oh of course he has no conception of us but it's I, he, <laughs> the way you phrase that i mean like he wouldn't he has no conception of us like we are beyond time honestly we, how how are we not beyond time zane really me this but <laughs> at this point but like uh for for those who are interested uh his supposition is that professor doofenshmirtz is actually a, a uh sleeper agent of the society that employs Perry the platypus so that they have free R&D, which is absurd and great, and you guys should watch it because it's great. But, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good one. I've seen a couple of conspiracy theories, like you said, the one with uh, with Candace, and uh, one where it's like, is Dr. Doofenshmirtz their dad? Because they're all good at engineering. Um, I didn't, That's how genetics you know, works. I love a good conspiracy theory. I didn't find like any really compelling ones. I thought that that one with the fact that they let Professor Doofenshmirtz go because they're stealing all his tech was a pretty decent one. That that one's fine. That I I like that one. Yeah. Fair enough. Listen, Zane. I for as much conspiracy bullshit as we do on the show, when somebody else does some conspiracy bullshit that holds up well, I feel the need to call it out. No, I have to do it. <laughs> no, it's mine. Enjoy show. Mom, ah, oh, Mad Pat is <laughs> making a better conspiracy theory than us. <laughs> oh Damn yeah, him. yeah, he he really is. He's got your number, kids. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. <laughs> um, are you a little be a little too famous to be talking about Phineas and Ferb? <laughs> Probably not. Um, so I did want to mention you. Um, you said like Phineas and Ferb, uh, Ferb Tron two thousand, mm-hmm. um, and Doctor Doofenshmirtz and Perry the Platypus. They have a similar thing where one talks a lot and one doesn't talk. Why yeah. is that pairing where one of the characters barely talks? That pairing, yes. Why is that better than just having the one character? Because I agree that it is. Well, 
part of it, like if we're talking about the di- distinction between Doofenshmirtz and Perry versus Phineas and Ferbricon, then I think that the reason that it works for Doofenshmirtz and Perry is similar to the reason it works for Wallace and Gromit because Perry is going to constantly be emoting. Mm-hmm. Like it's anger and frustration and trying to think of a way out of the situation as opposed to the flat nothing that we get from Furblink. So there's still interaction there. There is. I think that's I think that's the distinction between the two is that there's interaction and it's and it's fun interaction. Like it's high energy mm-hmm. interaction even though that one isn't talking. If you're asking even, me why they have it in the first place as opposed to just the one person. Yeah, cuz when Phineas talks out loud like explaining something it's like, "Oh, he's talk talking to verbology." Uh, when Candace does it, she's just kind of alone in her room monologuing. Well, and madly. it makes her it makes her sound like a like a crazy person. So, mm-hmm. if that is the joke, then that is the reason that they don't do it in the other circumstance. Remember when we had this in um, Invader Zim, where we necessarily had to have Gur as a character because yes. Zim had to be able to talk to someone and someone to lord over. I think it's de- it's got to be an individual thing. Like, what does the primary character, the mover and shaker, Phineas, need in a secondary listener? I think that's the question you want to ask. Mm-hmm. And he needs someone to explain. He's he's Sherlocking for him, right? Yeah. He's locking it up. Yeah. And Ferbson is the Watson. <laughs> um I think that I think that, that is the reason. Um I don't I don't think I had anything else in the characters. There's parents, they're generic they're like There's, man what a myth a miss on a cartoon dad a real he barely showed up and his sole character trait was british yeah it does the body bad i don't know I, maybe i'm spoiled you know i'm so used to good cartoon dads that when one comes along and it's just not that he he's even keeled then i have a question yeah does the body bad yeah does the body bad does the body bad? <laughs> you know it does. <laughs> Especially these bodies. Um, Maybe we should. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's jump into their head shapes. Yeah. So, uh, what is going on? I appreciated this because it reminded me of Hey Arnold. That is okay. that is the only reason I appreciated it. They there's like pretty blocky text like they're pretty blocky character models, complete with like Play-Doh factory molded hair onto that that look distinct from their heads like they yeah. like they all ha- are wearing very bad wigs especially candace uh <laughs> candace was very tricky they like, tried so little with candace it's actually kind of amazing f- her head is like a big inverted whistle with like a, a bad wig on it yeah i don't know but i i kind of like the character models because everything is so goony that like the character models should look goony yeah I, I I don't really like Phineas's triangle I, head shape. I found it amazing. Like I found it very interesting. In the same way that like you wonder what's going on with Gerald's head, you know, in in Hey Arnold. It's just it was just something. No, because because Gerald's head kind of fit. Everyone oh, in the show has normalish heads. It's just this guy. Like if like I don't know. Like it's it's vaguely in the shape of a head. Like it doesn't look like a star. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, 
it, it was just weird to me. You could you could like, see, so, you could see like, somebody <laughs> down the street looking like this, and you, the assumption there is that he got hit in the head with one too many footballs. Yeah, I'm looking at him like you're you're a protagonist. You're a safety hazard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is the point? Of, who thought of this? Yeah, it because they had so much time strange. to think of the show. They had to have like workshopped this. I don't know what it is. Um, I I tend to like it. I th- I think that that one's just too subjective to really get anything out of. Mm-hmm. I also think that you might be like, I hate the show in all its forms. Therefore, yes. I must hate the models. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that may be some of it. Uh, part of it is just like nothing else really stood out to me in the animation style. Yeah, me neither. It's it's pretty Disney, you know. The extent of it could possibly be like, so we have cartoon logic. Um, you know, where if something can stretch and deform and do something that a normal item could not normally do, it can. The interesting thing is that that only works for the main characters. Everything else so is, like, Phineas, like stiff. If, if Phineas and Ferberilli, like, build something, Who? it can defy physics. Everyone else is bound by physics. Right. And specifically, I think that all the backgrounds are, like... Because... We have a secret agent plotline, and things are going to deform. Things might be terraforming yes. by the end of the episode. So we're probably going to be moving a large amount of, you know, construction real estate here. And sure. generally when it gets moved, G- it, gets, girders per second. it gets moved as like a cohesive whole. Like a bowling ball, like a gigantic bowling ball does not crash into a house in this show and have splinters fly everywhere. A bowling ball crashes into mm. a house and sticks to the front of the bowling ball. And now it's just a mass that like rolls all in as a as one cohesive object. Yeah, exactly. It feels weird. It, it's allowed. I can't explain it other than that. <laughs> just like the are you telling me that the laws of physics cease to apply inside of your kitchen? <laughs> why are you saying? Why are you saying that? <laughs> like fucking. Wait, who is that? It's, it's my, my cousin, cousin Vinny. Vinny. Yeah, why are you saying localized, localized suspension of reality? So localized to this area in your kitchen. Can I see it? (laughs) We're reference heavy today. Good lord, what is happening in there? Aurora borealis. Uh, Aurora borealis. At this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country, localized entirely within your kitchen. Yes. Mash it. No, that that's that's sort of a Phineas and Ferb interaction. It really is. I mean, these guys did work on The Simpsons; they know how to do it. You're right. Uh, we'll get back to that the... in a second. I wanna I wanna head into tone and genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, we can do the referential humor now. So yeah, r- running jokes. Running jokes references. is one thing that they do. They they create just a couple of them here, which are fine. They create a couple of them which they draw too much attention to, like the idea of Isabella every time she shows up, like Phineas's school friend who has a crush on him every time she shows up what you doing and, yeah. and she does it in like a opening the door and the studio audience starts applauding sort of way like we're, <laughs> we're expected to have a pavlovian clapping moment for it yeah th- this is am i wrong is isn't is that the feeling that you get or not it's it's part of my supposition that this show is intended for not only children younger than myself, but I think children younger than they thought they were aiming at. 
Like the endless repetition is really something you'd see in a Blue's Clues. Yeah, it's like Teletubbies in here. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. And and I think a running like running jokes are good. They, but a they running can joke that work. never stops. That's that's when the that's when there's a problem, right? So there's a balance. It goes even and in it this goes show it's just it even, just misses the balance. It goes even farther beyond merely repeating it. They go to the point of making songs about those catchphrases. Let's talk about the songs. Uh I'm not ready for it. I can't do it yet. Uh, push it off. Push it push off. Push it off. Forget it. <laughs> we'll deal with it in Act 3. <laughs> we need we need to limber up a little bit. Yeah, I, let's wait until these plots, <laughs> A, B, and C, recollide before we talk about it. There you go. Another 15 or so. Uh, so the, the, the running jokes are fine in general. A couple of them go on too long, and a couple of them are kind of forced. But I think where this show really shines is in two areas. One of them is its casual referential humor. So let me let me explain what I mean. It is referential humor that does not draw attention to itself. It is a background joke that if you are looking, you will get. And if you don't, it doesn't draw focus. Mm -hmm. The necessary requirement for background joke. Um, So, for example, they one time get transported into the past into Jurassic area. And when they hitch a ride on a brontosaurus for some reason, the Jurassic Park theme, like, you know, Phineas and Ferbified, uh, starts playing. And yeah, a nice little touch. That's uh, like really fun, and uh, or or like when Candace gets hit by a bolt of lightning, she looks like the Bride of Frankenstein until she like combs her hair back. Like it's just like little fun things, like you know, you're not gonna notice it unless you feel like noticing it. Mm-hmm. it it's not the kind yeah, of the, referential the humor where they like, you know, uh, like a Family Guy reference that just goes on for like two and a half minutes. You know, <laughs> they they do once per episode. They do a Family Guy esque cut to something wacky. Do they? But they only do it once, like a minute into each episode. It's it's weird. I, I didn't notice this. So like, uh, they'll say something like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm glad we we got that like tiger." avoidance beam installed and just cuts to the city hall with like this weird like spire of of electric wires around it (laughs) weird spires are like the best kind of spires (laughs) right when they kind of like twist up into nothingness Uh uh-huh when like their purpose is not as important as the intimidation factor Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you could have done this far more economically it's like the washington monument it's just like i was here you know the building like that it ceases to have a function other than that it's tall yeah it's flagpole plus right plus plus even <laughs> by the way our new car toncast brand of uh flagpole pluses they're little flagpoles you can put at the top of regular flagpoles i invented, the, I invented these little flagpoles you can put at the top of regular <laughs> flagpoles i know it's i know it seems redundant but believe you me these will sell like hotcakes during the fourth of july can that be the intro? Is you doing like little weird Etsy things for different schmerz to come up with? <laughs> you're 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 like <laughs> you're obsessed with Etsy these days. I feel like it's because we recently I ne- I've jack- never used it. I don't know why. I just like the idea. It's it's a fun idea, you know. Like the like the idea. It's like Patreon. Like my money is going to the people who deserve it for the things that I like. You know. Yeah. Very fun. Anyway, as long as they stay over there, on the, as long as they stay on their side of the line. What did you mean by that? That sounded xenophobic. What did you mean by that? (laughs) Ben's got a real problem with arts and craftsers. (laughs) Craftsmen. 
artsmen and also the craftsmen. <laughs> Artists and craftsmen. Um, I wanted to say also that their self-awareness when they do hit it is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's when they subvert it. Right. So, uh, for example, uh, another time when I noticed this was, or another part of the episode where they were in the past. Um, Phineas and Ferb, Fur, Fur, Ferb Dragon, uh, they, <laughs> they need to use their scooters to save Candace from a T-Rex. And Phineas says, to, like, to the camera, wait, we don't have any helmets. And then followed immediately by, like, two turtles walking by. <laughs> and that is a great joke because it shows, like, the convoluted hoops that sitcoms need to go through in order to land on the good side of the censors. Like, they know that they know that, that the parents want to see that the kids are wearing helmets in, like, a rocket power way. But they do it that, so that... blatantly that it's obvious that that is what they're making fun of. That same joke happens in another episode where Candace is showing her mom, you know, what the boys are up to, but her mom just came out of the shower. She's got towels and she grabs her and goes onto a scooter and her mom's like, oh, good thing this was the day that I took my bike helmet into the shower with yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. See, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, the needless this, justification for the little things. This is the thing. <laughs> when the best part about your show is when it's subverting itself, it means that what it normally does is bad. Well, it implies that. It doesn't have to. Like, you get some good subversion in Futurama, but the regular stuff is also good. Mm -hmm. But again, they had a lot more freedom in Futurama than they do here. Like, I feel like the thesis that we're working toward in this show is that they had a lot of tools, but not many places to use them because of the format that they they chose. Yeah, they they cut their levers too short Mm -hmm. Yeah, in some places, you know? I, like they're I like, think so. ooh, you know, we could make the aesthetics of this place really tight if we just cut off this little bit over oh, here. Oh, but what is Candace doing, though? <laughs> just no one cares. No matter. one cares. <laughs> Leave her alone. Let her have a day off. She's constantly furious. It's because you drag her to bullshit places to watch Phineas and Ferb be madmen, crackpot, stew pickles. It's not good for her. It's not good for her development. First of all, inferiority complex has got to be through the roof there, right? Oh, yeah. When your younger sibling, like, outperforms. Right. That's why I That's why I prefer that you never do anything important. I know. Tip of the hat. <laughs> 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 this uncomfortable silence is a little too long. Now I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're making this more awkward than it needs to be. Better. You're really making this more awkward than it needs to be. I didn't realize I had that voice. Um, That's good. I like that. Yeah, save that lockbox. Mm-hmm. Lock it up. Click. Uh, uh, do you have anything else in this segment? I think it's time. Zane, I am biased. You need to tell me how you feel. I'm not. You need to tell me how you feel about it. About the musical interlude? You got it. Hit or miss. Yeah? Hit, hit or miss. Talk to me. There are some catchy ones in there. Okay. But... When you give yourself a deadline of original song, like we had this with Gem and the Holograms, you know, like you have to hit it with such a regularity and give it a consistency of tone, match the lyrics to what's going on. There's just no way to do it well all the time. I'm glad that you brought up Gem and the Holograms. Uh, first of all, just in general. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> You're I, always I, I'm always happy. I'm always happy. Ooh, Gem. I, uh, so there's one thing here. Um, so, as you said, the network required them to come up with one new song an episode. Sometimes they come out with two. 
That is too much. They cannot sustain that pace. And it is because the song... uh, Here's my take on it. You can disagree with it. I hate the songs in this show because the purpose of the song is a joke-telling mechanism, and they're not as good at doing that with a... It's the same problem we have with this whole show, is they're drawing a small box and trying to fit jokes in that box. And if you're going to mm-hmm. make a song, you have to shrink that box even smaller to fit it into a song. Uh-huh. So what exactly. What jokes can you make in there that are better than if you just didn't have the song? <laughs> I don't not see, a lot. Not a lot. I don't, see the, I don't see the purpose of it. So tell me how you feel about the songs that worked on you. Did you feel like they were additive? Um, I'm, I'm having a little trouble coming up with specific songs that i remember is it because they were um, all I bad think, and you're you know, no I, it's misremembering it's, you know there's something said for shaking up the formula the fact that it wasn't what was happening right before it is is points in my book well it becomes um, the formula though because they do it every episode yeah um they're you know a lot of the time they're just kind of restating what was just said um it it's a little I don't, want to, I don't want to say lazy because clearly it was more work than it needed to be. But they're 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 really just restating what just happened, the way that I just did. Now uh, I want to get uh, yeah, so I want I want to get your take on how you compare this to Gem and the Holograms because I also compared it, but in a much more unfavorable light. It's apples to oranges. Gem and the Hologram. The focus was the music. Um, the characters had much more emotional God. depth. Zane, you you nailed it. That was those were my exact sentiments. The purpose <laughs> was the music in Gem and the Hologram. So when you had a music video, you weren't cutting focus away from what you were doing. Ben, in uh, so this this would happen sometimes in uh, in improv, right? Because I used to do improv musicals, where you start a song. It could be trying to explain something in a song, in which case it's just funny because, hey, you rhymed sometime and it's nice to hear the little like lilt in your voice. But other times a song is just whatever just happened, you're going to get real emotional about it. That only works if your character like has strongly defined emotions. Hmm. The characters in this show did not. But all of the song, like a lot of the songs were just, you know, hey, we're going to build a theme park. Here's a song about building a theme park. Right. What are you trying to <laughs> Gonna do? Gonna build it big. <laughs> build it wow. Right? Man. I, There's nothing there. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like it hits me harder than it hits you because you're generally a fan of musical stuff. It, it, just because it broke up the monotony. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, this was the biggest problem I had in the show from when I watched it the first time is that I hate musical numbers in show as a rule. There are, you know contradictions to that statement but in general it's because it feels shoehorned in it feels forced it doesn't it's not additive generally i liked it in gem and the holograms because it lent itself to the whole you know our power is our music and our image and so to articulate that through actual music is really important mm-hmm. um and i'm, I'm and here again uh, again they are making the jokes fit into that mold you mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're they're not doing a song because it's necessarily additive. They're doing it because, hey, we're Phineas and Ferb. We ought to do a song. Okay, Ferb, let's fire this baby up. Oh, 
are so busted. All right, you greed, what's going on here? I don't have time for this. I've got a huge date and... Gotta get it all clean. Just drive on into our brand new machine. Shake, 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 shake off the ground. Just cruise on in. You got the time. When your hot rod looks have gone downhill, we'll put a smile right back on its grill. You're gonna feel better. You know you will. At the fantastic, fabulous car wash. Yeah, that that's what it felt like to me every time. I'm telling. They painted themselves into a corner on this one. Well, let let. I want to bring some. I want to bring some uh, uh, comparisons to mind. Let's. Yeah. I was watching Simpsons recently, and there's a song in one of the episodes where Apu loses the Quickie Mart, and he is in the the Simpsons house, kind of getting back on his feet, and he does this jaunty number. Who needs the Quickie Mart? Where yeah. he's just singing and dancing and talking about how he doesn't need the 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 quickie mart and i found it more engaging than i found these songs and i don't know why that is because that wasn't really that much funnier than the surrounding jokes um it was livelier it was livelier i think think the and maybe maybe the priority for simpsons is not quite as spastic humor and more like character humor and like i can i can play that simpsons song in my head Mm mm-hmm at any moment that's because we listened to it uh, these, ad nauseum as kids though and and these songs kind of slid off but it's also because like i think more care was put into the simpsons one i i think so as well 200 episodes of this with a song in every episode you gotta imagine that they were just kind of it was like the simpsons treehouse of horror things like they were just trying to fill a quota rather than create a good thing Mm-hmm. yeah you know what it also another point of comparison um we're in it's in a show that is, like, pretty silly. Like, remember Dave the Barbarian, the 300 Pounds of Lonely song? Great. Yeah, why do you like that and you don't like this? What is because, the difference? <laughs> um, because there's emotion there to be embellished. Hmm. In the Quickie Mart song, it oversells how happy he is, and it's immediately subverted by the fact that he's not actually that happy. You don't get that payoff unless you go through just how you know the the bigness of a musical number in dave the barbarian it worked because we're seeing just how strong of an impact the the scenes behind it were already oh we're feeling sad for dave let's like hit it home even further here neutral protagonists with a plot line and the song is about how the plot's gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) are you kidding me It's, it's not really tugging at any heartstrings good or bad did Doofenshmirtz ever get a song? They have songs, yeah. Because I bet his were better. They're, because he's a character. I do remember that uh, Perry and Doofenshmirtz both had, like, they there was a, a song following Perry around when they had that ridiculous breakup thing. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, the songs do hit different genres of song, which does help mix it up. I'll agree with you there. Um, I just don't remember the song being all that good or necessary. Like, it was just yeah. kind of like a sad, forlorn love ballad sung by some woman while Perry was walking around and, like, noting things that reminded him of their antagonism. You know, and it's it's okay. It just, the song just, I, it slid off my brain, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, what didn't unfortunately slide off my brain was the intro song. Okay, let's do it. Ska. So this I intro like is ska. written by 
bowling for soup. Yeah, we've had ska intros a couple of times before. Yeah, uh, that plus the character model make me think of Pelswick every time. <laughs> um, and this is not... <laughs> the lyrics are pretty egregious. Yeah, and it's also like, like got this like, like it's, punk it's, rocky edge to it that I just don't it's care so for. Proud of itself, and it hasn't earned it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really into itself. I it it is probably well like suited to its demographic though. Like, here's a bunch of crazy mm-hmm. stuff you're gonna want to hear about. I get it. Yeah, we're gonna be snarky about it for a minute. Yeah, what's with the snark? <laughs> <laughs> you're you're too bland to be this snarky about yourselves. I will say I kind of like the way that it it. Uh, that it tapers off, at, or not tapers off. I like the way that it rises to a crescendo at the end, where they're doing kind of like a rock thing. Yeah, yeah. Like and they're it, jumping around and playing an electric guitar. That's kind of cool. the The music of it's not bad. The lyrics aren't great, and I do not like the nasaliness of the singer. Yeah, he's it's very nasally. And then the joke at the end, where Candace complains, like, "Mom, they're doing an intro sequence." Uh... Once. Great. Very funny. Don't very put subversive. it in your intro song. Every time? Every time. Like, change it up. Other shows change it up, you know? Yeah, you can have a couch gag. Animaniacs does this, right? It's not always, here's the show's namey, it's something else. Yeah. And frankly, they didn't do that enough either, because I only remember, here's the show's namey. <laughs> well, it was an important, it was an important start. Maybe. I mean, a couch gag, though. Yeah. That's what, that's what would have done it there. Um, the ska continues. We we hear like that sort of like strumming backbeat consistently throughout the episodes when they're not doing musical interludes. Um, you know, keeps keeps it punchy, keeps it moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have any problem with like actual musical background tracks in this, or or the sound effects for that matter. It's from the fairly odd parent school of sound effects in that they happen constantly. Like every motion is a new sound effect, but at least they fit. Like the they fit the sound, they fit the uh, action. They fit fine. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't hate them. Uh, I, no, like, no points deducted, certainly. Yeah, they didn't impress me, but you know, that's because. I mean, like uh, we were. I, I was a little impressed. I'm like, that's good foley, <laughs> but not <laughs> that's some good foley. <laughs> but only because I was looking for something to compliment it on. Yeah, it, the problem with this show is like, it almost feels wrong to say that something was merely fine and not great or terrible because so many parts of the show are great or terrible. Did you ask anyone about uh, their opinion on the show? I did. Um, I got generally positive reviews. I know that uh, Nick said that he would fight us for giving it a bad review. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to ask him about that next episode. I would love to. I would love to tear into that a little bit. We can we can certainly hollow out a brief section of Dr. Simeon versus the Space Warlords of Monkey Planet or whatever. <laughs> I, I texted a friend who's like a real like Disney fanatic. Disney junkie. And even she was like, I, I don't understand. I also don't understand why people like this show. I just like the sound Perry the platypus makes when he's in platypus Oh, mode. yeah, that chittering sound that. And I'll hopefully cut it in there. Yeah, that's great. Um, but I, you know, I would ask people and a lot of people would say, oh, my God, I love that show. You don't understand. And I would ask for why. Yeah, and there are no reasons. <laughs> That's an unfair standard, though. You can't ask random good. people to give a Carton cast like you know thesis statement on a cartoon program in the way that we can. Yeah, I I feel like I should have that power. I think that uh, I think that this also was like 
one of the first cartoons that I noticed after I stopped actively watching cartoons in syndication. Like this, it felt like a very generational divide cartoon. Mm-hmm. In the same way like that, like the new age. in the same way that Teen Titans Go feels like now. <laughs> I will find very few defenders of Teen Titans Go, and yet people watch it. Apparently, I find I like find a lot of happening. I find a lot of defenders for it, just none in my age group. I I would be interested to take um, more looks at at more recent cartoons because I'm sure there is better, more subversive stuff nowadays. And uh, we can, you know, I, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see how it actually works when it's done. No. Zane, the, well. the last time you said this, we had Generator Rex on our hands. And we... And I'm sorry for that. <laughs> had a fine time. <laughs> Everything looks better in retrospect, you know? In retrospect. <laughs> in retro... In retrospect, yes. In fur... Fur... <laughs> Furbrex. <laughs> try new Furbrex. Free and breezy. Uh, we, we can try a new newer show to kind of figure that out if you want we could do a teen titans go at some point and try to figure out why we hate it <laughs> mm. i mean i kind of already know but it's not a bad idea to compare our opinions of a show like this versus a, a very popular disney show in the current era i'd be interested mm-hmm. yeah and like not every disney show in in our era was good no no i mean it's just most of them didn't achieve the sort of hyper success that this did uh, for some reason, I was talking to Mark. Mark is also kind of a big Disney junkie from from back in the day. He he watched a lot of like Sister Sister and That's So Raven and the like. For some reason, yeah. I remember really liking their live shows a lot better than live shows at like Nick or like I would agree with that. Anything else? I don't know why. Like it, they felt more genuine, I guess. Hmm. And apparently, uh, That's So Raven, uh, the actress for that is like a, a huge like LT- LGBT activist, which is kind of cool. Well, that's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always like it when uh, you know child actors go and do uh, literally anything but drugs. <laughs> I'm pretty psyched. <laughs> yeah, you got like, kind of a Phineas and Ferb bar to crack here. It's like it's not that hard. <laughs> the limbo bar. That that's right. Uh, to, to finish do up, we have uh, final thoughts, to, or do we have anything well, else? That one we more thing. To touch on? One more thing in music. Apparently, they did a version of a version of Gong, Gangnam Style. Fine. Which just made me want to watch Gangnam Style again. Like whatever. I'm still into it, actually. Now that just to mention. No, it's a fine song. It's just, just if you're really jumping on the wrong bandwagon. Here. I actually went and read up on it a little bit. First of all, it's apparently in Guinness for the most liked video. Um, it's it's really good. Apparently, Barack Obama once said that uh, Gangnam Style was like emblematic of a uh, South Korean um, culture as an influence on the rest of the world, which is just kind of a cool <laughs> point of reference. That's interesting. I like to I like to imagine that like someone brought it into his office. And he's like, "Sorry, you need to see this." <laughs> you like kind of tapping his foot. He's like, "Gangnam Style." Yeah, yep, very good. <laughs> this will bring peace between our people. <laughs> <laughs> An important first step. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So yeah. Phineas Fin- and. Uh... Furbtron. Uh, we are. I already did Furbtron. Furbnort. Furbnort. <laughs> Furbrick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so closing remarks. I liked it more than you did. I think, which is surprising. <laughs> I am. Wi- I am open to watching clips 
that people send me. It's all Doofenshmirtz. Uh, like, it felt like they just spent more effort on his segments than the rest. Yeah. Or it might have just been that they were more interested in that than the rest, much like I was. Like, I'm sure there's really good episodes. If somebody wants me to look at a really good episode of it, I'm game. Mm-hmm. But the ones I saw, at least, seemed emblematic of the whole, and I was not impressed. Too much formula, too many constraints, too small a box to make jokes in. Uh, I did want. I did have one extra detail, which is just a moment that I think you'd like. In one episode, sure. in one episode, the the bully he has Mo- moments are great. I've said yeah. It. <laughs> in one episode, uh, the bully he's got a real good bully name. What was it? Do you remember? Oh, I don't. I was just like, oh, this guy's Nelson, but in like an alternate universe. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta find this because it's important. Um, add, add him to the bully pantheon. I was, he's all right. well, I was gonna say. Uh, hang on a second. It's uh, where is it? Recurring characters. Baljeet, Carl, Buford. There we go. Buford's a good name. Buford's a good bully name. In one episode, he saves Baljeet's life, or Baljeet saves his life from choking on a hot dog or something, and <laughs> but he he then hands like uh Buford hands him a card that reads you have saved a bully's life even though you're a nerd this place is this place is the bully in the nerd's servitude via the bully code and buford is like super into the bully code ben i love the bully code i know it's i it's it's one of the best codes it's great i I mean I, i just love like an ethics system in an order that does not require or, or seem to it, it doesn't seem to require an ethics system yeah it's it's from the same idea of like venture brothers like there are rules to villainy yeah there's like treaties or even Doofen, doofenshmirtz came right out of venture brothers it seems it really feels like that or, or he also kind of reminded me of uh dr crocker like i feel like the modeling is kind of similar yes the hun- very much. the hunchedness the the hunch the just sort of jagged Everything. There's like lots of angles there. Yeah. Although they might have come from like a, like a progenitor, like a common progenitor, a common ancestor. Get, get me a villain with some angles. <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to call. I just wanted to call attention to the bully code. Also, the bully is voiced by the same people who do Patty and Selma. I think. Oh, nice. <laughs> At least it, it sounded like them. Yeah, they're good moments. Yep. Good moments. Yep. If you if you're looking for them. Again, like, print out your favorite ones and send them to me in a book. I'll, I'll take a look. You got it. Um, next time, we are going to be watching uh, Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys with uh, with our friend Nick Robes, who is one of the best voices in the Tri-Podcast area. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I'm, I'm uh, really excited for that. I hope that <laughs> if that episode's really short, it's because he's going to insist on doing a ton of Empowered episodes beforehand. <laughs> yeah, he, he's pretty good at those. <laughs> we have fun we have fun here and uh, also and there that? what's that <laughs> how about after that uh i literally forgot to check up on it so i'm just gonna kind of guess that this one is okay uh let's watch yogi bear the yogi bear i feel like that's a good one i feel like that's a good one to try we haven't done like an old one in quite a bit i think the last one was like might have been johnny quest Hey there, boo-boo. At least I can do this voice all right. Hey, hey there, boo-boo. Um, how do you, I didn't how do you see you behind that watching... park ranger. 
How do you feel about watching the live action Yogi Bear uh, CGI fest uh, with Justin Timberlake as the voice of Boo Boo? Not. I feel not about it. I might watch that. All right. Follow follow your dreams. (laughs) Well, great. It sounds like we got uh, monkeys and bears coming up. Yep. I mean, what else? What else could you want? What else could you want besides monkeys and bears? (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night, Dr. Good Nick. Dr. Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. If you are interested in helping the podcast, go ahead and go to give us an iTunes rating or review. Every little bit helps out. We love to hear what you have to think of us. Um, if you go to our Facebook page or our website, cartoncast.com or our Fancy Bat network www.fancybat.com you can go ahead and leave a comment for us or any of the other shows in the network we love to hear from you guys let us know um yeah. and tell a friend tell an enemy yeah tell your secret agent nemesis more than anything else just tell your enemies about the show <laughs> <laughs> give them the bully form now i may not uh, agree with what you say but you have you heard this podcast <laughs> I will defend to the death you are right to listen to this podcast <laughs> so Mr. Tipton how could it take you five minutes to cook your grits when it takes the entire grit eating world 20 minutes I don't know I'm a fast cook I guess I'm sorry I was all the way over here I couldn't hear you did you say you're a fast cook that's it Are we to believe that boiling water soaks into a grit faster in your kitchen than on any place on the face of the earth? I don't know. Well, perhaps the laws of physics cease to exist on your stove. Were these magic grits?